welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I wanted to start with a question. What is an asset to you? What does it mean when someone says, I want to buy an asset? To me personally, an asset means I can acquire or invest into something that will grow in value in the long run while potentially create some sort of income. Quick couple of examples, quite obvious, perhaps you buy a business, let's say a restaurant, it generates income throughout its life. And at the same time, there's a potential for it to grow as a business. So it can expand, maybe open different branches and so on. Owning property would be another one. Renting the property would be an asset because that would generate income as you own it while simultaneously growing through time. The same item could be a liability in my opinion, but to start, that's what I see an asset as. What about you? Yeah. And what do you mean by liability exactly for our listeners? Because people call cars depreciating assets. And if you look at a company's business, assets do get marked down and depreciated. Even companies, sometimes companies get marked up and sometimes get marked down when it comes to raising rounds. As an example, if a startup raises a $20 million seed round, which I think is very high, normally they would go three to $5 million. I know when investing became popular for people like doctors, lawyers, people who just wanted to get in because it seems like free money, just like the Bitcoin craze, for example. We saw valuations go to $12 million. What happens if the company can't execute? It's called a bridge round where they're marking the valuation flat or even a down round where the original investors actually paid too much money on that one. And I think both are possible. So I want to ask your opinion on that. What do you mean by liability exactly for our listeners? This is my personal take on this. A liability is if something actually ends up costing you more than what it can generate or is generating. The same example, you buy a property, you rent that property out. In that scenario, I would take the house or the property as an asset because you're renting, you're generating income. And at the same time, in the long run, the next four, five, 10 years, it's gonna grow in value most of the time. If you take that same property, you do not rent it out and you actually just live in it, then that property could actually be, in my opinion, an actual liability. Sure, it might go up in value, but it's going to cost you money to run that property because you're living in it while not generating any income. And there's no real guarantee that the time that you'd be selling that property, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, it's going to be worth more than what you bought it for. Is it very likely it will be more? Yes, but it's not a guarantee. It's not necessarily my view on what an asset and a liability is, is not an absolute definition. It's your take on that project or item. You acquire business from someone else. You invest into it. You think there's potential for it to grow. That business is failing, even though its job is to generate income and grow. That's a liability because it's dragging you down. You're putting money into that business continuously to try and make it grow and improve day to day. If you look at it from the investor's perspective, I think that makes sense because you can actually buy something 
with the full intention for it to be as an investment and actually cost you money. Now, I'm not saying that when it's not profitable, it's a liability only. And then once it turns profitable, it's an asset. In a way, perhaps yes. That's why I like to see assets as income generating. For example, if you buy a stock that pays a dividend, that, in my opinion, is an asset. Now you can buy another stock that's not paying a dividend. Is that an asset? Perhaps, depending on what your strategy is. So if you buy a stock of a company and you believe that in five years time, it's going to be a lot bigger than it is now, then yes, that's a speculative move, but you have your reasons behind that. You've done your research, you've seen that there is potential and that the value today is very, very overlooked and underappreciated. It has a lot of room to grow. So it is a speculative asset, but it's an asset nonetheless. And everything technically is speculative, but there are things that maybe could be more speculative than others. If I have to define something as a pure asset, I need to know that it is more likely to generate income even when I'm not managing it. Me working as an electrician, for example, then maybe I'm going door to door to generate income. That business might not be an asset if I'm the only employee, because that to me would be a job. Now you'd be your own boss, but it is not an asset. If you have a company, they provide electrical services for rentals, even when you're not at the office, it's actually making money, then that is an asset. Again, it depends on what your approach is, in my opinion. Awesome. I'm going to take a high level approach on it. Let's start with an example. Cal, let's say you're a writer by profession and you were transplanted back 2000 years ago and there's no such thing as a pen. You had the only pen and that was your only way of making money and no one else had one. Would you consider that pen an asset? I would say yes. Absolutely. That would be an asset. This is a very useful point I want to make for people who are not at the stage of disposable income or can throw money around at properties and things like that. Because I know people are at different stages in life. I like to think of an asset as anything that provides value. Cal made a good point, which is if it's costing you money, that asset may be worth dumping for something else that could not burn money in your pocket, or maybe there's an alternative that could be free. Here's an example. You want to lease a luxury car for 800 a month, plus gas, plus insurance, you'll be spending a lot of money. What if you bought a car for $800 total? That is arguably more of an asset, in my opinion. Things like maintenance, yes, there's a bit of nuance there, but to get ahead in life, if you can drive a $1,000 car over a $10,000 car, besides the argument people like to make about safety, I wouldn't go into debtor's prison to constrain your own cash flow just because you don't have the safest car on the road. I don't think that's a good risk equation because you're really going to impede your own trajectory of doing better in life by not taking a cheaper alternative at the time. Even if you're buying a $100,000 luxury car, you're still not a Rolls Royce. So are you really on the pinnacle of technology? I'd argue we make compromises all the time. What I would suggest is find out what's important to you in life. So something like a pen. I always say internet is essentially a utility. My own asset to learning and growing is the internet. Does it pay me a dividend? Maybe in the long term. Maybe people can become content creators or spin off a Twitter business or some kind of mailing list, which seems to be quite popular. That is a long-term play, but I've been using the internet since seven years old and it didn't make me money for the longest time. So to dismiss what's valuable to you, 
because it's not cash flowing is a bit short-sighted, in my opinion, from my own life and experience. Don't discount things that are valuable today because you're not rich or because they're not making you money. Making money on assets is essentially a rich person's problem. But if you want to grow in life on the very short term, not disregard the idea that things can cash flow, but start with things that are valuable, a valuable alternative that, to Cal's point, don't cost you money. So is there an education alternative to a $100,000 degree? Is there a free alternative to learning? What can I YouTube as opposed to paying a contractor to come do work on my house for menial things or as far as you want to take it? And these are the things I think I would recommend as a fundamental to anyone starting out and anyone who just wants to do a pulse check on how they're doing in life. And if you feel like you're stuck, reevaluate and say, what's valuable to me? What is tremendously useful? And what is wasteful? And I think there's a bit of a blend in this topic that seems to be coming up, which is opportunity cost. If you have a bunch of things you don't use, try and sell them. Because if something's worth $20, $50, or 100 you could sell that. There might not be a big market for it, but people say cash is king because it's super useful. It's super liquid. You can then start to invest. You can buy some crypto. You can buy some traditional assets like metals. And that is where the equation starts to change. Cal, what's the cheapest stock paying dividend you can buy on the NASDAQ or the TSX? Can you buy a $20 stock that pays you a dividend? Well, at one point, there was a stock that was around $7 that would pay a dividend. The problem is you don't know for how long it will be paying that dividend. As you speak, I think there are stocks as low as seven, eight bucks can buy on the NASDAQ that are paying a healthy dividend, relatively speaking. Right on. And to get that dividend, you have to have an account. And do you have to hold the share for one whole year or do you get a partial dividend if you only own it for four months? Most stocks pay quarterly dividends, some pay monthly, but let's take the quarterly dividend as an example. So as long as you own the shares before what they call the ex-dividend date, let's say they plan on paying the dividend June 1st, as long as you have the shares of that stock before May 20th, for example, then you would be paid that dividend on the dividend date. They'll announce that online. As long as you own the shares by that date, holding the shares through that date, you'll be paid a dividend, even if you sell the shares after that date. You'd be paid for that dividend because you own the shares on the ex-dividend date. So to clarify, is the ex-dividend date one day of the quarter or is it the time period where you have to hold throughout the whole quarter? It's actually just that one day. So you can buy it before that one day and then sell it the day after and you'd still get paid that dividend. You technically own the stock for, let's call it three, four days. Having said that, the system's quite efficient technically, the stock price would move accordingly of the amount of the dividend that would be paid. So there's no guarantee that you're actually going to be making money because it depends on when you sell that share, where the stock price is going to be at that point in time. So you can technically own the stock just to get paid the dividend for three, four days. Wow. So if you want to take an arbitrage opportunity or maybe get into day trading, you could actually find a stock that pays a dividend consistently that also does not dip to account for that dividend payout. And you can pull a one to 5% return, I suppose, over three, four days. That's fantastic. And imagine if you can find a basket of companies that has that quality over 20, 30 times, and that compounds to 100% on your money a year, if not more, actually, as it compounds over each other. 
that's actually a cool idea someone can look into. Cal, would you consider a dividend paying stock a type of income when you compare your seven streams of income? Yes, I would. Because it's generating income, even if you get paid quarterly. But just going back quickly to the point you made, I looked into it actually, and it seems that once upon a time, there used to be that opportunity for investors quite a long time ago. People would buy the stock, get paid a dividend, and then sell the stock. But now markets are efficient and they account for that. Assuming the price even stays flat, it will drop by the amount of the dividend paid. So in current times, that arbitrage opportunity technically doesn't exist. It only makes sense if you already own the stock by getting paid the dividend and by the appreciation of the stock itself. Just want to go back to a point you've made regarding the internet. It's something I've overlooked, but it's a fantastic example of it being an asset, even though it's not technically generating income. It could be a liability if you're just watching Netflix all day and it might not make you an income. But on the other hand, you'd have someone else who'd sell items on the internet, provide content, study and learn through the internet for free. Even though if it's actually not generating you income, but you're reading a lot, you're studying a lot, and that would be a complete asset because the value you're getting from having that connection is way beyond the actual cost of your monthly subscription. That was kind of my point with long-term investing. The value it provides is greater than the cost, either on a monthly basis or you make a multiple in your money, 10, 12, 100x, then that is to me an asset as well. Because if I'm making $5 a year on a dividend, but I make $10 million on a long-term asset because of a multiple on my original investment, I personally get more excited about the multiples. I think I can grow faster in this particular case. And I think a good hedge on parking millions of dollars afterwards and being able to not have to go to a job because you're pulling a percent on that is sensible. But I think it depends on the timing and where you are in life. I just want to make that point clear that I consider an asset more than just cash flowing things. Multiples are fantastic and things that add value because people aren't the best at measuring value. If you know it's valuable, just go with it. Like that internet example. So back to your point on dividends. I don't know if I like that. If an asset dips by 5% because the dividend paid 5%, does the dividend have any value? On the very short term, I'd argue, no, you essentially get diluted. But if there's a recovery in two weeks, then that becomes your arbitrage opportunity. You just wait the two weeks. Because if most people buy and hold and make 5 8% a year on appreciation on average, holding the S&P, for example, and maybe let's add in another five on dividends, then I would say if you can turn that into a 20% return, then you're ahead of the game. So Cal, what is the most undervalued asset today? Do you have maybe one or two examples you can think of? That's a tough one. But if I have to pick something, I actually have to go back to your internet example. I think the internet right now is the most undervalued asset we have. It's absolutely phenomenal what you can do through the internet. You can open a business. You don't have to buy or rent a location, have a brick and mortar shop. You can sell things online. You can do your entire business online and it can generate income online. You can educate yourself online. You can communicate online. It's fantastic what we have today. And imagine going through a pandemic like we are right now without having the internet. I can't imagine how tough that would be. It's already very difficult, but I think because of the internet, people are still able to function and work every day from home. Kids are able to go to school through online education. 
And a lot of businesses were able to stay afloat because they were able to expand on their online presence. So this is what I believe is perhaps the most valuable asset we have today. To me, it's more than oil, more than gold. Maybe even more than that, if I have to pick something more, it would be time. I think time is the biggest advantage we have as people. And that's why they say the earlier you start your education, the earlier you start saving, the better advantage you'd have later in life. I would just assume that you agree with me on this one, John, but I think that you and I and everyone who's trying to really make it much bigger in this world is obviously trying to help humanity, trying to improve our standard of life, but at the same time is to buy us time. Wealth, I think, is not necessary because I want to make more money and grow an empire. Obviously, there is something to that. I think being able to buy my own time and use that time to expand further, to enjoy my time with my family and friends, create memories, I think these two would be the top in my opinion. Does time pay a dividend to you? No, but not everything needs to pay a dividend for it to be an asset. Doesn't always need to create some sort of income. Like we mentioned is the internet doesn't really pay you a dividend. It doesn't really generate you money or even appreciate. It's not like you can own the internet and then sell it a few years down the road or a profit, but it's what you can do with that item that can actually be a benefit for you. So the internet can be a great tool to make you grow, whether you as a person or as a business, if you're working 15, 16 hours a day and hardly have any time for yourself, then you cannot improve. You're so focused on the job at hand. Arguably, it could be a waste of time, but it depends on what you're doing. So if, say if you actually have a job, then you're spending that much time, you are arguably missing an opportunity out there. But if you work a job that maybe pays a bit less, as long as you can make your ends meet and have more time that could actually be more valuable because now you have more time for you to study, to focus, to try to build your business, to improve yourself. And that could be a better investment, perhaps. So in that sense, time, I think, in my opinion, would be an asset. Yes. Even though it doesn't pay you anything. Yeah, that's a good point about where to spend it. And I think it's easy to work long days because it seems like the only viable option. And sometimes it is. It makes sense to do that rather than being unemployed if you're trying to get ahead. Very long-term, maybe not, but that's back to opportunity costs. If I had to work 16-hour days for a million dollars a year or a hundred million dollars a year, I think one can argue that it's worth it. And number two, if you're a leading executive at Amazon, if you're Jeff Bezos, I'm sure someone of his stature works an insane amount of hours, but the value they create is very high. So that's almost back to the whole purpose equation we talked about. If you're in line with your purpose and there is value creation and all those things, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. But working 15 hour days for minimum wage, one could argue that, yeah, you could work half for double the money and then buy back some of your time. And that's essentially the idea. I think the whole idea of investing is to slowly win back your life. And most of us were born into this world to have a job and live through life trying to sustain ourselves. And that's why if you can find that balance of mixing your passions as you discover them with better income or better value created to the world that actually pays you more, add value to the world and it pays you back. So something internet related, starting a business and all of those things, I think that is the true mix of being able to choose your own path in life and get rewarded for it. Awesome, Cal. I just wanted to cover assets a little bit because there's a lot of stuff people can read online about stock markets and hard metals and crypto and all these things. But I wanted to pose the question to get people thinking about 
what's really valuable to them and what's going to help them in their future. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.